peeps and shit, guys. Welcome to another episode of Travel Shit Podcast. I happen to be your host, D. Carrie. Appreciate all y'all that have been fucking with me for a while. Welcome to all you new motherfuckers. Um, here at Travel Shit, it's more of a conversation about why we travel. It's not necessarily about uh, the destination because for all intents and purposes, it's not really that important. It's more about what you take from your travels and your experiences. So, um, if you're listening to this in real time, uh, still a pandemic, a couple of pandemics, uh, essentially uh, at the forefront now are still the COVIDs and racial injustice, go figure, uh, still a thing, still a thing, guys. So, this week, I have a guest with me. Welcome back to guests. I'm certain there's at least a pinch of y'all that are tired of me just talking about my feelings. Shout out to y'all, though. Appreciate y'all for coming back anyway. Um, so, guests, welcome. Angelo, thank you so much for joining me. If you would and introduce yourself to the peoples. So, my name is Angelo Pinto. Um, I'm an attorney by trade. I'm an advocate, an activist, an organizer, a father. Um, I've done a lot of work around criminal justice reform, kind of started in New York State, and I helped start an organization called Justice League NYC, which gained a lot of kind of notoriety and popularity after the non-indictment of the officer, Daniel Pantaleo, who murdered Eric Garner, and it kind of became a national organization that got a lot of attention. And subsequently, or most recently, I have started an organization called Until Freedom with some of my friends from Justice League. And this is now a national organization to address a variety of issues around the country, primarily focusing on mass incarceration, criminal justice system and policing. Yeah, that's, so that's me, that's me. In a nutshell. So again, thank you for joining me this week. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to have this conversation with me. Um, what I wanted to bring you on to discuss is how we could be useful during this time. Um, it's so fun, not funny, but I guess the word is ironic. Um, a couple weeks ago, I had some listeners on with me and we were talking about time travel, right? We were talking about what errors in life that we will go to. And of course, as Americans, it was kind of like a little touchy. It's just kind of been rough for us the whole way through. So <laughs> what point in time would we say in the past if you will that we would go to visit so a couple of well two of us in particular absolutely said well i know for me let me speak for myself i said that uh the 20s harlem renaissance for me personally clothes that's um point two but point one would be just to be amongst that level of uh creativity and artistry yeah um, and sharing it in community. So the 20s would absolutely be my go-to for those reasons. However, shit has never really been sweet for us. And there are a myriad of reasons, and this isn't exactly um, a history lesson episode. However, the conversation came up that, although I also mentioned I'd make a great fucking hippie, don't think that I could just breeze past the civil rights movement of the 60s. Right. Note that 
I likely wouldn't be a protester. Like I wouldn't be on the front lines. And I know that because essentially we're reliving the time right now. There've been, I don't want to say, I don't want to qual- uh, quantify it, but there have been, ca- uh, not even countless, because you can't count it. There have been a lot of protests. <laughs> right. And a lot of fucking protests. And I went to one community gathering because a friend of mine put it together, and there's no way I would not support my friend in this. Right. He absolutely does a lot for our hood, and that's those are the babies that I am primarily concerned with because these are the same kids that I pass and drive by, you sure. know, on the work and whatnot. But I realized that I wouldn't be, I'm not a front lines kind of person. I'm not a go out, walk, march. And part of what's my rationale, because we're not a monolith. Let's be clear about that. Black people are not one dimensional, the same individuality that every other um, demographic, you know, consists of, as do we. Like everybody gets to be their their individual selves. Right. We don't feel like I have a grasp on the information that I would want to present to other people in terms of a rebuttal for their um, delusional viewpoints. And that's, and I feel like it's fair for me to say that that's not my role. I, however, am a lover, I'm a nurturer. And I see that I would rather, you know, hand out flyers, break down a meeting space. I'd rather provide childcare for people. I would be a background panther. I would not be one that is up orating and speaking in front of crowds. I wouldn't be one that is marching. And I know this because that's not what I'm doing now. I know that I find ways to, um, or I try to find ways to make my views and opinions, uh, to sh- I don't want to say heard because heard isn't exactly the, the motive. And I don't necessarily need anyone to hear it. Essentially, I wanted to have an episode where we can discuss that, where there are more than, there are more ways to make a difference than just by presenting yourself physically in a space. Right. I wanted to have you on because this is your firsthand experience with it. So one, one question that I've had for a while is how does location and how does regionally protesting differ because i know that for example we don't have i'm in new york i don't we don't have a stand your ground law here right is a law in other locations so that of course is going to go into uh rationale and reasoning behind or cause for uh what's the word i'm looking for not cause for that's separate, but the the push for fuckity fuck. What's the word? I just had it for uh, prosecution of people that okay. get, get these crimes. What is your regional experience been with protesting? You know, I've never thought about it like that. You know, but when I see folks, when I've gone to different places. You know, it's it's a very similar phenomenon usually, which is like you're trying to gather a mass of people to get in the game, but a lot of it is being led by the organizers on the ground. Like whoever the people who are leading the work on the ground, 
those are the people who are usually at the forefront in so ca some capacity or centered. And usually, I mean, I think one of the big differences that you generally see is the size. Like in New York City, usually when something's popping, it's a lot more people on the ground and outside. However, in this particular moment, everywhere has a lot of people on the ground. Like we were in Houston and there were 70,000 people at a rally. It's like 70,000 people outside for, you know, a, a rally in Houston. It was wild. We were in Minneapolis and there was tens of thousands of people and multiple actions and protests happening simultaneously. Um, before we got to Minneapolis, before everything kicked off, we were in Louisville. And in Louisville, we had a rally and it was probably like a couple of hundred people, which is a good. But the minute kind of George Floyd happened, it changed the, it even changed the protesting landscape in that anyone could kind of put together a protest right now. Um, and you could command thousands of people. So the landscape has changed. I think what you're seeing is different states and cities are responding. You know, New York City had a curfew for a while. And even before George Floyd happened, they were saying you can't protest because of social distancing. So I think different cities are trying to respond and get a handle on what's happening. In Minneapolis, when we were there, you know, it was tear gas, rubber bullets, and the whole, the whole thing every night. In Houston, that wasn't the case, right? So there's certain cities where also, I think, those who are in positions of power are saying these protests don't require this level of force or that hasn't been a thing. And then there are cities where it's kind of been protests and, and kind of clashes with police. Um, and I think right now, I wouldn't say that there's regional differences in that regard. Right? I think you can find cities in every region where there's clashes with the police and it's becoming kind of violent. And you can find cities probably in every region where there's protests and there's no clashes with police. Um, so I think it really depends on really what's happening in the moment because you really can't determine. A lot of people call me and say, what do I do? What protests do I go to? And I'm like, it really depends. I'm like, you know, if you don't want to be involved in anything that's going to get kicked up where you're confronting or having a clash with police, I'm like, you know, go out during the day. Because at night, it's and even during the day in Minneapolis, like it's so organic right now, you can't really determine what happens, okay. right? And there might be a wave of people that decide to do this one thing, a wave of people that decide to do this other thing, and you're not really in a position to stop that, right? Especially if you're a single protester and you're not engaging the protest with a coordinated group of folks that are organizing and intent on trying to make the protest move in a particular direction. Right, like we organized two protests, one on Saturday and one on Sunday in New York City. And you know, because of that, we were able to, and we've done it before, and we had a lot of people on the ground, we were able to kind of make the protest happen the way we wanted it to happen, lead to a rally, and then that's it. Right? So protests that you're just joining, and you're not organizing, you're not a part of the organized organizational leadership, you're not, you don't really know what's going to happen. Right. And I think there's some protests, there's some things that are happening so organically where it's like people just deciding to come out on the street at six o'clock. And then you'll see what organically happens. So I think in many ways, you know, there's a lot of variables and factors at play. And I don't know if there's regional phenomenon, 
but I think there is kind of movement phenomenon that you could pay attention to to kind of understand what's going to happen at the at protests that are happening during the day, what's going to happen with most protests happening at night. Is my city kind of having clashes with police and are the police responding with force or are we in a city or a jurisdiction where they're like, you know, lay off the protesters a little bit. So it's really a, a case by case, even city by city kind of thing. How would you suggest somebody get that information? What, um, because Google is great. <laughs> Google is also very saturated. You yeah. have so much information. And then at this, while at the same time, not feeling like you're getting any information. Like there's no right. way to search. That's why when we wrote papers in college and in high school, they told you don't use Wikipedia. I can right. write. Right. How do you suggest people find accurate and useful information in terms of um, how they can find ways that are appropriate for themselves to yeah. proactive? You gotta be plugged in to keep it a hundred. Like if you if you really want to know what's happening, you gotta be plugged in. Even if you really want to know just the temperature of what's what. Like you gotta be plugged in. Like even in Minneapolis, I'll give you an example. Like we're not, we weren't from Minneapolis, but we happened to be in a region. And when we heard what happened, we was like, yo, we, I was like, yo, we need to drive and just be in solidarity with the people. We gonna, we going. That was just how I was moving. I'm always like that. And we connected with the people on the ground. That was my first thing. It's like identify the people who are organizers in Minneapolis who've been organizing for a while, right? And we contacted a few people. There were some people who I didn't know lived in Minneapolis who hit me up when they saw I was there. And I used that as a as a way to really understand the temperature on the ground. And I was able to find out like, okay, these are the protests happening and this is what's likely to happen, right? But again, Minneapolis is so organic and the movement was so kind of new and fresh that you really couldn't control what was happening, especially like at the precinct that got burned down. Like it was clashed with police. That's what it was. People wanted, people wanted to smoke, you know what I'm saying? So, and that's what it was. So for me, if you really, even in New York city, people ask me like, where do I go? And I'm like, you know, every protest is different. Like I'll be lying if I told you this is going to happen or this isn't going to happen. Um, aside from like, usually during the day, a lot, it doesn't get as funky as it will at night. Like that's the one advice I, I give people. But the other piece is like, you gotta be tuned in. Like even, you know, going to the protest and feeling the temperature of how things move and meeting people, right? right? Which can be challenging for some people, they've never done it before. Because the thing about it is, it's like a full contact sport in many ways. It's like, this isn't a thing where you're just gonna know what's gonna happen. It just don't work like that. You know what I'm saying? You have to kind of get on the ground get your feet wet, make some connections. And then you got to see what you're comfortable with. Because something that I'm comfortable with, I'm kind of comfortable in any atmosphere because I've done it for a while. The, another person just coming off the street, their first protest or their first protest in a while, you may not feel the same. Um, so you kind of got to get your feet wet, get plugged in and see what spaces kind of are aligned with how you want to move. Because the other thing is there's a tremendous amount of, there's a variety in the protests that are happening. There's some things that are, you know, very non-confrontational. And then there's some stuff that's like, nah, whatever happens, happens. So, you know, and then the other piece is you kind of got to be able to move in the moment. Okay. Like you got to pay attention and say, okay, we're doing some things that are going to drive us right up against the police. 
is this something I'm okay with or do I exit stage left right now? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So you gotta be aware of the moment. I think for people more so being, than being able to identify like what's gonna happen at this specific, specific protest, you kind of have to have a toolbox around how and principles about how you engage and how you learn about the moment. So how you can engage kind of intentionally. That's my, what I say to folks. It's like, you know, you gotta learn some things, you gotta get on the ground and then flesh out where you think you fit best. Kind of like traveling. You just gotta play it by ear. You go someplace you've never been before, you, bear, you right. don't language, you don't necessarily understand the customs, but you still fuck with it. You show up right. and you feel it out. You see what your uh, intuition tells you. I always say people, right. oh, how do you travel solo? It's the same way like you go to another borough. Like it's not, you know, rocket science you can track from one place to another with ease if you just kind of use some common sense so in terms of um plugging oneself in if you will what are good starting points for someone that doesn't necessarily you've you know heard a couple of different places that are having protests or you've seen different people that are um coordinating efforts for a rally or a protest. What are a couple of kind of like ground rules that someone could use to um, flesh out or ascertain what the temperature is? I would say identify a protest that you're interested in attending. Get there early. Mm -hmm and try to really kind of do an assessment of what you witness, right? Like identify, usually at a protest, if you get there an hour, 30 minutes to an hour before, you're gonna find the organizers. You're gonna see the people who actually are the ones who put this together, the people who are probably gonna be leading it, um, the people who are thinking about what happens after the protest. So you could actually find the people and actually have conversations with them. Right. But even if you don't, what you give yourself the ability to do is really see how does this thing come together, right? Like, how do the people who put this together, how do they set up? How do they think about it? How do they engage with each other? And then you can kind of watch organically how it comes together. Like, what time do people arrive? How long does it take for it to really get started? Does it ever really start at the time we say we're going to start? And then you could kind of experience the buildup of the protests, like, from pre-protest, start, kind of crescendo, all the way down to like finish, stop, done. Um, for me, that, that's what I would tell people to do is like, you know, go early, leave late um, and get a feel for what this experience really is. Try to organically meet and speak with folks there. Um, and also try to see the moving parts of the protest because there's people who are organizing. There are people who are making sure, you know, the protest stays on track. There are people, if they have one, there are people who are on the bullhorn. There are people with signs. There's people making sure people have water. There's, there's a variety of moving pieces in a protest oftentimes. And then you could kind of say, where do I fit well? Do I feel like I fit well in any of these places? Um, and I think it gives you a, a good sense of how you can show up in the future. So if showing up isn't your, your, your bag, um, whether it be mobility issues, whether it be um, just comfort level, 
what different ways would you be able to suggest that people can still be resourceful and or useful in uh, the time that we're in right now? Because a lot of people want to make a difference, right? Um, they're just different ways to do it. Yeah. Like, I hate cooking, but I eat. You know what I mean? So it's, it's a lot of different ways to prepare food. It's a lot of different ways for me to get something to eat. Right. And I just go by what feels good for me. So if showing up ain't your thing, and I don't want to say showing up in the sense that because you're not at a protest, um, you aren't a participant. Because the la what this isn't is me policing how anybody decides to be a part of um, change. Right. There, there are different tiers to it. Protesting has never been the only aspect of revolution. There's also, you know, legislation. There's also caregiving. There, there's a lot of different um, pieces. And what I think a lot of people also don't realize, and I'm glad you brought it up, is that there are so many different moving parts to an actual protest. Mm -hmm. um, that those are even things to be perceptive of and to look for if you do decide to go to. So other than going to an actual protest, what different ways do you find people have found success in, in feeling as if they are contributing to some type of positive change they want to see? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things I've been saying to folks is like, you know, when movement folks talk about the movement, we always talk about it in the context of being a marathon. You know, people always say, talk about Nipsey and Nipsey saying, you know, it's a marathon. And when people talk about the movement, they say the same thing. It's like, this isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. You gotta pace yourself. You gotta take your time. But in addition to that, you have to, there's a variety of ways in which, or a variety of forms in which one can protest, right? right? protest isn't only about physically going into the street and holding a sign or getting on a bullhorn, right? That's one form of protest. That's the most direct form of protest when I think about protest. But, you know, your protest could be how you engage legislatively, as you mentioned. Your protest could be how you help organizers organize the protest. Your protest could be how you show up for the children in the community. Your protest could be a ton of things, right? But what's important, I think, for people to see is that it is connected to what people refer to as like the larger movement in some capacity, right? To me, that's when you're actively engaged in protest that is aiding the movement at large, right? Don't be, don't do what you're doing in isolation, right? And I think that's the one critique I would give to folks is like, you know, I, I put up a post the other day and I was like, oh, what happened to all the people who was like protesting ain't they thing? Or they would never march or they would never do this or this doesn't work. And I was like, yo, where y'all at? Like, I haven't seen that one in a while. And I was like, I, I, I'm sure y'all are not protesting because that's not what you do, but you silent though. You know what I'm saying? And my whole point behind it, it was kind of like a jab, but what I was really saying is, and I always say this to people, who are like, yo, I'm, I, don't, I don't think marching is the thing or protesting is the thing. Because I, I never wanted to do that either, truth be told, right? But I did it because people was like, yo, come on, got to do something, right? And I was like, you know what? You're right. I'm going to show up. And so my thing to people is do something, 
Like, what are you going to do? Don't tell me about what you're not going to do. That's great. But what are you going to do? How are you going to show up in this moment? And the thing, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot, actually, in this moment. And also thinking about how all of the work and, you know, revolution is not a moment, right? And when people think about it in the context of movement, it's like, you know, a lot of things have happened to create this moment, right? And this moment is connected to a continuum of things. So it could look like all of a sudden this thing happened, but that's not exactly true, right? But I have been thinking about looking at this very specific moment, right? And looking at the ways in which people going in the streets has had an impact that legislation, that all kinds of lawsuits, electing certain people have just not had. Right. right. We've done those things or tried to do those things for a long time and it just it just didn't get it done. But mass amounts, people power of folks getting into the streets has caused change. And not only that, it has caused awareness and has caused a lot of other people to get engaged. And, and it's something that people in the movement always know. We talk about people power, right? We talk about people have the power and if people decide to change things, it'll change. We always have the narrative, but just rarely that you actually see it in motion. And especially on this scale, it's very rare. And you know, many folks don't see it in their lifetimes or may see it once or twice. So one of the things for me, especially for the young people and the children who are growing up in this moment, witnessing it, being a part of protests, hearing about it, I feel like the protest really needs to be a part of people's everyday life. That's what, it's, that's what it's triggering for me. It's like, yo, this is the thing that is changing the political landscape right now, right? And it cannot, and it just is. And it should not be a thing now that moving forward tomorrow, next week, the month ahead, we start taking for granted. Right. right? It should be something that you start to realize that I was, me and my daughter today, I was like, and she started doing it the other day because we went to a protest, like she was making a sign. Right. And today I'm going to sit down and we're going to make another sign. Like, I think that it has to be, it's a particular kind of language. Right. A protest isn't just people going into the street. I said it when I spoke at the protest we had the other day. I was like, when you go home and people ask you what you did today, don't tell them you went to a march. I said, that's not what you did. That's what people are going to tell you. They're like, oh, you just marched. Nah. I said, yo, you went to a trial. That's what you did. Anytime people take to the streets in this number, we're holding, we're putting America on trial. You're putting the NYPD on trial. You're putting the governor and the mayor on trial. And you know how you know they're doing it? You're putting them on trial because they have to respond afterwards, right? And having to, they're being forced to testify, to say, oh, don't wait, what about this? We're gonna try to fix this. And yesterday in New York State, they passed some legislation to, to make chokeholds a felony, right? And again, to me, small steps, right? That's not, I'm, not, I'm not jumping over the moon about that. But guess what? All for the past, I don't know how many years since Eric Garner's died, they couldn't get it done. Right. Right? And then now, in a flash, because tens of thousands of people in New York City have taken to the streets and given them hell, they say, okay, damn, we might need to do something about this. So <laughs> without going on rambling too much, my point is that even we have to revolutionize even our understanding of what a protest is, right? Because it's not what we traditionally think. But more importantly than that, we have to revolutionize our relationship with it too, right? This idea that it is a thing for certain people, 
as opposed to the idea that it is a language that we should always have access to utilizing in moments where nothing else works, right? It is a tool to use when all else fails. It can create transformation and galvanize attention in ways very few things can. And we're talking about in a larger context, but even in a, in a more individual context, like that's why I'm even thinking about like, how does it translate to, to my daughter? It's like, well, how do you understand the ways in which protest allows you to speak up and speak on behalf of yourself in a variety of instances, right? Don't just look at it as this moment that needs tens of thousands of people. That's one way to look at it, but it's much more complex than that. So I'm just saying all that to say like, we need a paradigm shift around our relationship to this thing. And I think this moment is giving us an opportunity to do that. Okay. So with the opportunity, what are some actionable steps that you think people can take? In terms of like getting involved? Getting involved, yes. You know, I always follow this model that Malcolm had where he said, wake up, clean up, stand up. That was his model for transformation. Wake up clean up stand up and i was saying to somebody yesterday wake up means you become aware of what's going on right not simply that police are killing black people um and state-sanctioned violence is happening and, and protesters are being confronted with violence but you understand the history and tra trajectory of state-sanctioned violence you understand why what activists and organizers are calling for things like defunding the police and, and other criminal justice reform and police reform related legislation and understand why that's important, right? Then taking a step further is recognizing, is any of this momentum organizing happening where I live? Like are there people where I actually live trying to do this? Not just in a national theoretical landscape, but actually where I live, are people, organizers, activists, and legislators talking about this? And is there a way in which I can lend my voice to help this effort along, right? And or is it not happening? And should it be happening? And what role could I play in it happening, right? Or is, you know, finding out, so that's the wake up piece, right? Becoming aware of what's happening in a general context and then in a very specific local context where you are. Cleanup is really like, from my perspective, it's like identifying the very unique way in which your skill sets, your past, and your purpose allows you to intersect or enter the movement world. It's like maybe what you do, if you're a teacher and you love children, maybe you're educating children about this, right? Maybe you're not protesting, maybe you're not even talking to a legislator, but maybe you're educating young people. Um, maybe, if you're an artist, you're using this moment and these slogans and to, to beautify the community, right? In a way that accentuates the moment in the movement, right? I don't know, but I, I'm just saying like, there's a variety of ways in which you can find the alignment between your purpose and your passion and what we're experiencing in this historical moment, right? And then the last part is stand up. Like I think when you find that alignment between the awareness of what's going on, your passion and purpose, you're able to bring those things together and that creates transformation. Yeah. 
to actively do your role in making the two align. Because like you said, it's not that protest has to look the same for everybody. Protest for me isn't necessarily um, showing up and walking someplace. Protest for me is making sure that I support and amplify um, the creatives that I know just because I know that that for me, that's my passion. That's what anything that has to go along the line with uh, along the lines of creativity in some form that that's my flow that's my vibe yeah. I, I enjoy that aspect of it and I don't mind doing the work in that in that uh realm so any way that I can you know correlate the I the um the ideas or the principles works for me but I can absolutely see how the the uh, stand-up part is actually doing it because if, like once you connect the two once you find it it's a matter of how consistent are you with doing the work like you said it's not um a momentary thing like it's it is absolutely a marathon like it's if you were to look at the protests from the 60s as part of what we're doing now it doesn't it's just proof to show that it was it didn't get solved the first fucking time. It didn't get solved the, the second time. It didn't get solved the third time. Like it hasn't been solved yet. Like these issues haven't gone anywhere. They're just, you know, more amplified because it's not that people haven't seen it. It's not that people didn't know about it. It's that now that there are more people collectively talking about it, I think at the same time, that's what's making a bigger difference. You know what's interesting about that? Because this, this moment has made me think about it more. Because I think I used to think about things in the context of like, how do you solve this? Like black people experiencing this shit, how do you solve it? And I think this moment, I don't even think about that anymore. Like, I'm not like, about solve this. <laughs> like, although I get it, like you don't want black people to continue to experience trauma. Right. Right? And and terror and torture. Like that's some you don't we don't need that. But for me, it's not. And that's the danger of a solution. That's the danger of like goals sometimes, right? And I've, I've been thinking more, and it's something I've thought about, I think as I've matured as a person and my understanding of many things, it's like goals are important, but what's as important as a goal is a process. And what's as important as your process are the relationships that you're building as you're doing that, right? That's what people say, trust the process. For me, it's like, this movement thing, this revolution thing is a process. And to your point, it's like, it's not a process just to get to the goal. It could look like that, but it's really a process to create a lifestyle, right? That's what I'm saying, what I'm saying, what I'm saying about protesting, right? Like we have to shift the paradigm and our understanding of it. Like this idea that it's this thing for this very specific use. It's like, nah, you actually don't get it. And I, and I think that's true for our understanding of our experience, right? We're trying to get to a solution as opposed to saying, what kind of lifestyle do we have to create as a people so that this just doesn't happen? Because we've been, we've had solutions and none of the solutions have worked. Like, or, so we, or so we think, or so we thought. Right, and that's why I think that um, to piggyback off of your your point is that if we take a step back from solutions and just look at actionable change, I think that there can be more of a difference made because we've had solutions before. 
the, the end of slavery was a solution to the issue between the North and the South. You had, um, all right, so you can't have slaves? Cool. Um, Jim Crow. Cool. So Jim Crow, a little problematic. All right, so uh, segregation. All right, so segregation, a little problematic. All right, well, redlining. All right, so redlining, a little problematic. <laughs> prison apocalypse. So it's like we've had solutions. It's just that none of the solutions have been anything that have, you know, actually benefited us as people. So if you were to just shift and instead of fixing the problem, maybe fix the people or not even fixing the problem, because it's not like black people were ever the problem. Right. The problem is just our existence in whiteness and how white people have seen us as the problem and just found different ways to change the same story. It's kind of like you watch um, I'm All Things Occult. I love all your little vampire shows. Give me Supernatural. Give me... Took me a while, but I finally got the fuck into Vampire Diaries. And I don't give a damn. Gabby, I hope you're watching this. Fuck Elena. I'm ready for her to finally, finally die. Like, I'm ready for that third time's the charm. But all that being said, there are a million different narratives to uh, vampires, a million different narratives, right. werewolves, and all of that hot shit. But it's like, it, it's, it's still a story. And until you change who's actually writing the story, until right. I think more of us are part of legislature and actually making the changes happen that we want to see, it'll continuously be a story that is written for us with solutions that aren't solving anything. Yeah, that's a good point. It's like we're, it's like we're playing a role in the movie. You know what I'm saying? Like somebody wrote the script, this is your character. <laughs> And no matter how, in the sequel, you still gonna be that character. Now, I might shift a little bit. I think you muted, but you're gonna be, you're gonna be XYZ character. So I think like, and even when you think about the founding of this country, like what happened was they wrote the play. They say, nah, this is how, what this gonna be. We gonna call this thing America and we gonna kill these people off and bring these people in and boom, boom. And I think we have to, that's why I think this moment is important, right? And one of the things I had said when things were really kicking off, and I kind of said it as a joke, I was like, you know, if people think what's happening in Minneapolis is a lot right now, I said, y'all, don't worry, because tomorrow we rewriting the Constitution, right? And I said it as a joke, but what I really meant was like, we need to redefine all of this. Absolutely, because it was never designed to include us at all, at all, period. Like, and, the, and the things that are happening are things like, I remember when Colin Kaepernick was first, was first taking a knee and there was a conversation around like, oh, you're dishonoring the American flag. And I'm just like, and anyone with sense, anyone is like, yo, what are you talking about? The American flag doesn't honor black people and the national anthem is not honoring people. When you look at the history of it and you look at what's been said, what's actually said in the actual national anthem, all of that, but even that aside, that's really just scratching the surface. Because if you really need to have to confront America, you got to confront Columbus. You got to confront George Washington. You got to confront all of these monuments. And, all, and that's what's happening right now. Those people ripping monuments down to the ground and spray paint all over them. Because you know what? America's a joke. That's what people are seeing. Like America's a joke. It's never what it says it was. And it's on full display and fuck it. So in dismantling what's here, in 
shifting the the narrative and shifting the climate, if you will. What can, or I think a better way to ask would be, damn, because I don't want to ask a vague question because simply asking to identify, I mean, it, yes and no, right? So for, because asking what is it that we want to see change? I, I just feel like that, that isn't a useful question right here. Right. Um, but in an effort to make this more of a cohesive discussion where you kind of tap on little pieces of different areas so that for those people that, because I've been ignoring the, you know, the message in the inbox from that white friend that generally reaches out and asks, okay. you know, what are your thoughts on? We're not doing that. I don't have the space to hold yeah. this. I ain't got those kind of white friends. Oh, I've done a <laughs> very good fucking job of, I, just, I, I go through Facebook here and there, block, 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 Leslie, block, block, delete, delete, just people from my job, block, block, yeah, block, yeah. block, 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 <laughs> You look like, oh, you third part, you know somebody that work, block. I don't, my job is very toxic. I, yeah, lines, yeah, yeah. very rigid. Um, but in the off chance that an ally, I, I'm having a kind of difficult space with allies, and I guess this is a good, um, uh, I guess, moment. Whereas it's again not in, an, not in essence to demonize anyone who got to the party late, right? Right, right, right. How you get there, when you get there, you're here. Sure. I feel like it's a little counterproductive to. Uh, something it's kind of like when you tell somebody what they fucked up on versus giving them okay so this is how you can be better right it's yeah. one thing to mention it but it's another thing to just kind of stay there right. so i am aware that a lot of this is performative between the emails in our inboxes talking about you know hey so we stand with black lives to <laughs> you know, i've been black for a strong 35 I didn't like, was it first black? So there have been blacks before me and your company has in turn employed blacks before me. So it's, again, appreciate y'all for getting here, right? But for those allies, if you will, whether performative or not, right. how would you say to someone who is wondering what next? Um, it's kind of like, I can't fuck with respectability politics because it does one of those things where it says, well, look at this person. They did it, so why can't you? That whole bootstrap mentality, right? right, 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 right. Past all of that, what is it that we're looking for? Not like in a, well, you can vote. What more do you want? Or we work at the same job. What more do you want? Not in a, what more do you want? But in a, this is what we're looking for. Yeah, yeah. For people I that on their mind or their spirit yeah you know 
the movement has been talking about that a lot, like white people, like allies. And one of the things that's become real commonplace in movement language and kind of discourse and dialogue is like, we don't want any allies. That's been, that's been okay. But that's, that has gotten us where we've been for a long time. So we don't, we don't want that. But if you want to be a co-conspirator, if you want to put equal skin into the game that black folks have no choice but to have in the game, then come on through, right? And I think what you're witnessing, what I witnessed in Minneapolis and even in Houston and in New York City is white folks putting some skin in the game, right? Like uh, white folks mixing it up with police, you know, white folks standing in front of black folks before they got to mix it up with police. Uh, white folks actually being physically abused and beaten and receiving excessive force by police. So the, the level, the playing field around police brutality is getting leveled right now. It's like, okay, now white people getting some, right? They, got, they have a lot of skin in the game right now. And for me, where I'm at with it is like, well, that's just, that's where we're going to have to be for a while. Like, we're going to have to be at a place where there's a, a great proverb that really sums it up for me in terms of what we need to do to get where we need to go or to at least be on the path of where we want to go. And it's 75% outrage creates 100% change, right? 75% outrage. So if 75% of the country, of the world is outraged, we can create 100% change. We could transform the society and the world in the ways in which we know it should have been transformed a long time ago, right? And we're in that moment. And I can't lie to you, there's mad people outraged. And it ain't just black folks. And it's a beautiful thing. So outraged that people ripping monuments down. We're not asking anybody, can you take this down, please? Can we um, go to the legislative committee and, no. Bring that shit down, tear all that shit up. So part of what's happening, and this happened before, and during the American Revolution, and during the Civil War, and this happened throughout many moments in history when people said, this history is a lie and a sham, and it's not going to be the same tomorrow, right? And we're just in that moment, like, where people are like, nah. And it's like everyone I talk to, they're like, yo, they're going to be talking about this for 100 years. Absolutely. They're going to be talking about this probably longer. But we're in that moment. So for me, it's like, put the skin in the game. Don't talk about tomorrow so much, and let's start writing history today. Let's start rewriting the old history and writing the new history today, because that's actually what's happened. Even like when I was saying, you have to think differently about even the notion that you're protesting. Nah, you're putting them on trial. And now we're not just in a social movement. We are, but we're actually writing history in this moment. So it, be it behooves you to get out here or to get engaged, because this is your moment for every citizen, child, elder, whatever, to be involved in the history-making process. Don't miss it, because it doesn't come along often. Right. But we're in a moment where we're all in it. You know what I'm saying? Like, and people talk about like this generation, and I've even posted where it's like, this generation ain't taking it anymore. But the fact of the matter is that if you're alive, you're a part of this generation, right? Like if you're, if you're one or if you're 91, right? Or 101, you here. What's your contribution? And, you know, I think 
to your question, I've kind of rambled. It's a particular, it's a unique question for white folks, right? And what it really means for them, for me, is like show up differently than you've shown up for the past 500 years, right? And that's what I keep saying. I had a I've been having a few conversations about white folks. And people are like, well, white folks are not all that bad and all this. I said, well, for the past nine days, no. The past 11 days, right? But when we look beyond that, it was a lot, it was a lot of silence. Right, so no one's getting a pass from me for that, but right now something's happening. Stay in that, keep that same energy. Right, you know what I'm saying that whole check on your black friends thing. Um, I had to, I posted about the other day. Stop asking, stop checking in, stop asking me how I'm doing. <laughs> so, you asking me how I'm doing is just like you ripped the band aid off. I don't meditated i done you know space give me space it's just like you asking me how i'm feeling while i appreciate your concern for me don't keep asking me how i'm doing i'd rather you just send me positive energy or just tell me you know sis you want my heart right now i know it just acknowledge that you know i'm stressed right tell me how that might make you feel and then have this conversation with your wife have this conversation with your cousins. Have this conversation with your coworkers. <laughs> Many times as I can try to, because I know for me, I tend to be, um, again, I'm on vampires. I would never make a good vampire because I already experienced my feelings and my emotions on 100. So if I were to be a vampire and, ex and then it'd be even worse. Right. I know that, I have a hard time separating my feelings when I am responding to a lot of shit that people are saying. And that's another reason why I feel like I'm not the educator in this. I'm not the one that is um, another reason why I had to block and, uh, you know, remove people from social media is I take protecting my peace very seriously. Yes. Uh, social media for me is an extension of my peace. So I'm not going to sit here and watch X, Y, and Z post about why they shouldn't be looting because I'm not sitting here to watch or listen to, um, I don't see all lives matter because I blocked them. I don't see blue lives matter. They've been blocked. Yeah. You know, like, I'm not here for that. Yeah. And for me, I know that I don't, I don't have the space to have those conversations. I don't have the, um, I'm not doing it. I'm not explaining myself. I'm not uh, talking you through an understanding of why people that look like me deserve to be. Period. Right. But for said allies and friends that are checking in on their black friends, checking on your white friends also. Ask how they feel about the situation. Ask them niggas why they uh, so upset about you know this building getting burnt down or the looting here or the business here, but yet you know. So what are your thoughts on how we got here? How about that? Right. Let's let's reel it back because you're allowed to feel how you want to feel. You're allowed to feel how you feel about, you know, looting or rioting or protesting or anything. That is just part of the design of humanity is that thoughts and feelings are part of the shits. Right. But I would challenge that with, so what else are you upset about? And let's talk about that. 
Yeah. Uh, I was watching, I don't know who Sis was, but I found it on, I want to say it was Janelle Monet's page this morning. Um, bald woman. I remember that because I always take heed to Sis Without Hair. <laughs> she was saying that some white girl, Haley, had, you know, some conversation with her white family, blah, blah, blah. Mm. She's arguing them down as to why, you know, basically black people deserve humanity. But what the woman was saying was that that shouldn't even be recognized as the primary conversation. What should be recognized is why are you even allowed to have this power to decide who gets to be human? Why is it okay for you and those who look like you right. to be able to delegate the uh, importance of life to and to whom they who they desire and who they do not so desire to have such right. so instead of you asking again this is my humble opinion with my bachelor of arts i don't have no history. <laughs> i don't have no motherfucking math degree oh gosh I'm, not, I'm nobody scientist i'm nobody fucking historian i took the easy way out i wanted to get my credits get the fuck out so i did communications so that's that's what i'm coming to the table with let's start there i don't got no law degree but what i do know is i've always been black right I've been a black woman she's always been rough yeah and you asking my personal experience on it while i don't want to say commendable while i honor your curiosity you're allowed to be curious and you're allowed to reach out to somebody that you think may want to have that space and that time to have the conversation with you it ain't me right. those of y'all that have the words and have the control over your feelings and your emotions enough to have these conversations with people because a lot of times i mean the the irony to privileges it is right it is and you only understand something from your perspective and it again back to travel you don't realize sometimes the scope of what you don't know until you realize that you don't know you don't know what you don't know because you don't know it right. and it's something that you've never had to consider like the idea of you know uh not feeling welcome someplace if that's never something you've had to experience yes it's going to be foreign to you so the same way different cultures are new to people and we travel and we try to be as uh culturally sensitive or immersive as we so choose in terms of travel a lot of that can um play a role in this era that we're we're in this space not necessarily era because i feel like again been here done that not personally but as a country we've been here we've done it and we're still doing it again so i would i would what's the word i'm looking for i would offer that someone looking to be an ally would not necessarily just align yourselves with your black friends, but also align yourselves with your white friends because that's where the work needs to be done. Okay. If you have the wherewithal, if you've got the the understanding that what's happening is wrong on many different levels and in many, many different areas, 
reach out to the people that don't see the problem because sometimes all it takes is a conversation. Right. You don't have that conversation. You could be. You could be. You could be. Any there are so many different people that have um like for example, my podcast ain't for everybody. Right, right. If it's not, why gonna do this? It is what it is. But for those of you that fuck with the kid, when you resonate, the message gets through. You get to travel. I get to travel. You don't need a $5,000 budget to go to another country. You don't need a $500 budget to see, you know, the beautiful wonders that are a part of this world. You just need the effort. You need the patience to dig through to get the, you know, to get shit in a price that you can afford to do it. And it's the same with this. If you just take the time to read a book, to Google an article, to uh, listen to somebody's podcast, to watch a movie, to watch a series if two hours at one time ain't your flow, but you know, maybe you've got eight to watch a series. I don't fucking know. However your mode of like uh, digestible content, however you digest your content, I promise you there is something out there that you can take in that will get you the information that you are looking for. So I absolutely will have resources in um, the description box. But one thing that I also want to ask you before I let you go, what, the protests aren't just in this country. That's right. We've gotten past that. That's right. We are, th- this is global. I've saved so many articles, links for whether it be Paris, Australia, um, just Brazil, Colombia. What what is it? Doesn't Brazil have the highest population of black folks outside of Africa or something like that? They also have the highest number of black folks killed by police annually. Where we are, there are problems. Where as a black traveler, I've seen um, and experienced the looks all over the world. So it's not like it's just here that it's a problem. People face um, racial discrimination, colorism, all across the fucking world. So blackness is just a problem here. Sure. Uh, newsflash, if you weren't sure. Um, it's a problem essentially everywhere that we are. And for someone that, act, that does organizing and that does put themselves in the position to do the work, how have you perceived this, you know, because the movement, as you mentioned it, isn't just one part. There are a lot of different parts to it, right? So as someone that is, the words, for someone that is actively doing the work in this location, how does that, how does it play a role when people actively share in the same sentiments globally how does that make things i don't want to say uh more difficult but how does that extend the moving parts to what you're doing here in this one space historically whenever a revolution has happened with black folks in one part of the world like in like when the haitian revolution was happening they was talking to frederick Douglass, like you know like it was people even in the 60s when you look at the Panthers, they were, they were talking to Shea and Fidel and like, there is a, a revolutionary, a movement continuity that always exists, right? Because these are people who are not only shifting 
the understanding of what's happening in their specific locality, but these are also people who realize colonialism and imperialism is a problem. So they understand the nation state as it exists is problematic. And that global solidarity is important. I'm actually working right now with some folks in Colombia to build a global solidarity network. Um, and this is also for people who don't know, this is the decade of people of African descent in the United Nations. So United Nations is hosting a number of conversations with black folks across the diaspora, right? And it's been going on for about two years right now. And I have my issues with the United Nations, but I'm just saying that to say that there are institutions and mechanisms that are, exist that are trying to create conversations across the diaspora. But like I said, I'm, I was on a call when I was in Minneapolis with about 150 people from Colombia, you know, just trying to find out like what's going on, what you got, you know, what you're doing. And I got a ton of people from Brazil hit me up all the time, sharing, and this was before it really jumped off with George Floyd, what's going on in Brazil, because it's always popping there. Um, and people in France, people in Australia have been sending me stuff. So I'm in the process now of talking about and building kind of this global solidarity network. But the other piece is the way in which I kind of think about myself, and it's kind of connected to the movement spaces and ideology before me, really like Huey P. Newton and the Panthers, they consider themselves international revolutionary communalists, right? So these were people who were movement people, but understood it in an international landscape. And they knew that in order for these things to be sustainable and have impact globally, they had to be interconnected. And we had to figure out ways to communicate with each other, to protect each other, and build a network amongst each other. And I think right now, at least for me, in the way I think about transformation and change and evolution, that's a big part of it. It's like, how do we begin to disrupt the artificial and sometimes the very real barriers that exist between Black folks across the diaspora? And it's something, I mean, to your, to your earlier question, it's something we have to do even beyond kind of our, beyond race, right? But I think one of the places that we think, we have to think about it first is like, for Black folks who do have the shared experience of being Black globally, how do we disrupt all the barriers, whether it's language, whether it's location, um, whether it's culture, uh, whether it's where we are on the continuum of change, like how do we begin to be in deep relationship with each other so that we can learn from each other, use the momentum others have, have galvanized and really create a true new reality, right? One where our, our identity begins to shift and become something else. Because one of, my, one of my theories is that some of our challenges around cohesiveness is as a result of our identity. And most of our identity is based on the, the colonialists or the imperialists who have kind of oppressed us. And as a result, we just kind of take on that identity because of location and where we are and it becomes our culture. And there's some great things about it, but there's also some problematic things about it. And I think we need to, and you know, it's interesting. I travel a lot and before this moment, and actually right before the pandemic, I was supposed to go to Brazil um, for carnival and I didn't get to go. Um, it's one of the few places left where I'm like, I gotta go. I wanna see that, I wanna experience that. Um, and it's because like, I know there's mad black people there. I'm like, yeah, I, need to, I need to touch that. I need to be a part of that. Um, 
but the thing that I think I've been experiencing, like I went to Carnival in Trinidad last year, and the year before that, I was in South Africa for um, Afropunk. And I feel like what Black people have been doing globally for the past few years is like, and maybe it's been going on before that, much longer than that, is really building a relationship and an understanding with each other through kind of meeting and engaging in a different kind of terrain. Like in some of it, people will say like festivals and carnival. Like that's how we've been experiencing ourselves across the diaspora. Um, because the world portrays us in a way that's not true. And there are not a lot of other opportunities or institutions or structures that exist for us to really be in relationship with each other, although we want to, right? right? And every time I've been, like I went to South Africa and literally my first day there, I met a dude who ran a spot in this area called Mabone, the city of light um, in Johannesburg. And me and him became best friends. Took me to Pretoria. And, Soweto, like he took me everywhere and we still like, we still chop it up. Like, yeah, I come back so I could take you here. And it like, and this shared experience is so real because of apartheid, like the relationship between what they've been through and what particularly African-Americans, I mean, it's like almost identical. And, but there has, there was really no other way for us to have that relationship with each other, aside from traveling and meeting in different terms and realizing that not only are we, do we have a shared experience, but we really are a family. And I think that is really the wave of the future because some of our brothers and sisters globally are not having the, even though they're protesting and even they're confronting the institutions of power, they're not having the moment that America's ha having. And I'd like to believe, I don't know, we'll see how it all plays out, that this moment is gonna be radically transformative for black life in America. I do believe that, I really believe it in my heart of hearts. Um, I don't think it's gonna to end tomorrow or next week or next month or in three months or even in six months. But I think where we are and as this thing kind of really begins to, with the, when the rubber really begins to hit the road, there's gonna be some real lifelong historical changes that are going to put black folks on a very different kind of trajectory after this particularly black folks in america but then the question becomes how do we sustain that here one but more importantly not more importantly but as importantly how do we use it to transform the lives of black folks outside of america um so i know i was like talking a lot and rambling all type of shit but my, my point is that it's all connected <laughs> and we have to build global solidarity. I think that um, to your point, the, I don't really like saying the black travel movement, right? But it's an actual thing. People were, black folks were traveling. They've been traveling, yeah. Instagram, right? Yeah, before Columbus. But I think that there's been um, a generational shift in leisure travel, if you will, as opposed to waiting until we retire and your kids have grown and, you know, when your life gets lived, I think that more of us are making travel a part of our lives between Certainly. so many of us creating entire lanes for ourselves professionally, becoming digital nomads and, you know, just picking up and realizing that, well, I can make bread anywhere. Like I don't have to work at a brick and mortar, you know, location to right. 
be successful just in terms of what technology has been able what technology has given us in terms of um shit it was just in my in my vocabulary um not being attached to one spot right right that same conversation you have with your friend in South Africa, a lot of us are now able to have as leisure travelers. Oh, yeah. As travelers that are just, you know, we're digital now, whether or not our job has us travel or we're able to travel as a result of having a digital job. Yeah, yeah. And I know that one of the things that I look forward to and I also cringe at the same time is when I travel, people ask me, about my experience as a black American, where they ask you to. Uh, I get that a lot. You know, oh, so what's it like? You know, oh. Why did you let this happen? And then, oh, your president, this, or, you know, this and that. Like when you go places, people ask you questions as an American, they ask yeah. you questions as a black American. Thankfully, you know, internet isn't as. Internet is well received around the world. It's still not as accessible to everyone. However, because of the digital age that we live in, these conversations are had outside of where we are at the moment. These conversations are able to travel and the information is there. So we're able to kind of experience more of a collective experience, like you said, of the diaspora across the the globe. and it's not new, because like you said, it's not. It's not. Talking to you know uh, to Che, they, they it's not like talking to somebody from someplace else was ever new. It's just more. I think it's more prevalent because it's you kind of don't have an excuse. I think something different is happening though. <laughs> like, I this year, this summer, I took my daughter out of the country for over the like a little over a month. Nice. Like for the summer, I was like, because I've, I feel like that's as important as anything. And I realized the education she can get from being abroad, and she was seven, what she could get from being abroad is important. But the other reason why I did it is because I'm like, I don't know if I just want to just live in America. And I want to spend a lot of time every year, maybe, I don't know, a quarter of the time outside of the country, someplace else. So what I'm saying is that I think our relationship to travel is shifting a little bit, but not so much our relationship to travel, but our relationship to our identity as it pertains to where we live, right? And I think a lot of Black people are asking themselves, like, do I want to stay here? Do I want to be here all the time? Just given the nature of our existence in a variety of different places. So I think our relationship to, like, space is is changing. Like, our relationship to where we want to live, how we live and how kind of static and fixed our our place of residence is, right? And even like, I think a lot of people are talking about like what they want their children to experience and what they want their children's understanding and relationship to black people across the globe to be. Um, So I think something is shifting, right? Um, And I think there's a lot shifting around nationality, right? And even like there's African-Americans who are getting passports for countries that they can show, you know, they have ancestry connected to. Like, mash the landscape of so much shit is shifting and changing. Um, So I think something is happening around that that I don't believe has happened in mass in quite the same way. Like, we've always had Black people who've left 
or went to other countries and said, I'm never going back. But I think the fluid way in which we're now saying, I'm going to be here a little bit and I'm going to be here and I'm going to be here and I'm going to be here and I'm going to move here. And I'm just going to fluidly move throughout kind of the world is something that's a little different for the amount of black people that are now doing it. I kind of touched uh, something on that last week, right? Where that's, I, at some point will live outside of the country. That's me speaking it out there. Daddy, I love you. I'm sorry. I'll be back. <laughs> um, but like, I'm very, I'm a daddy girl. That's my old best friend. We hang out. This is like, I can't see myself leaving my dad for an extended period of time. Right, right. Well, my grandmother's like, my family is getting older. Right, right. I know that I want to be here to enjoy my time with them while I have them here. But at the same time, I also love the way I experience myself outside of this country. Yeah, me too. And one thing that I think many of us, I had this conversation with my homeboy Jason, and oddly enough, he does a lot of travel for work. He's Guyanese, I want to say. Mm. So uh, I think that another conversation, there's so many different ways the conversation can go, but we ain't going to be here all day, is that the having the ability to identify a space as home is a luxury a lot of us don't necessarily have. Um, African-Americans. As Black Americans, well, as African-Americans, because as Black Americans, Black Americans, African-Americans, you, you can see it, they're, they're not exactly uh, linear. You've got uh, first American, first generation Americans, second generation, third, whatever generations you may be, you a lot of people can trace their lineage back to another country. Um, and I think that one of the things that I had considered is, even if I were to move outside of this country, I'm still bringing my trauma with me. So when I look or when I listen or when I respond to someone saying to me something like um, here, like if the way I respond to somebody looking at me or staring at me here is somewhat similar to the way that I respond to it when I am abroad. So if somebody's just staring at me, they have a million different reasons why they're staring at me. But of course, in my mind, it's like, what are we doing here? Do you, do you have a problem with me being here? Are you saying that I'm not welcome in this space? Are you so now the privilege that someone that doesn't look like me may have is their list of questions might only have four points. My list of questions might have not. Right. Race is now part of the questions that I'm asking. Are you do, like, why? why are you looking at me because we're the only black faces here do you not want us here is it that i'm a woman is it that i'm a black woman is it that i'm a natural woman is it that i'm just in sweats and a t-shirt am i not dressed up enough whereas somebody else's list is a lot shorter i think that me leaving and going someplace else i'm still going to have that list of questions in my mind regardless of where i live so I don't know that for me, at least, where I am right now, leaving the country is automatically going to solve everything. Because if a white person looks work. anywhere, that same list of points and reasons as to why this person may be in my face is going to be the same until I'm able to shift 
yeah. my own narrative. So I think that hopefully this conversation that it's, it's not like the book has been open, right. whether or not somebody decides to read past where we are. Are you turning the page? Did you go back? Did you start from the beginning? Did you start at the introduction or did you jump to chapter one? Like where in the story are you? And uh, you know, how much of the story are you ready to digest? And how much of it is actually palatable information for you? Because of course everybody's got, you know, different levels where they're able to take information. But all that being said, Outside of the actionable steps that people that you've been able to give for people to, um, you know, navigate the protest space, looking at who the organizers are, showing up early, leaving late, and those items that you've given, are there any resources that you would suggest people direct their attention or their money to? Because I'm a little hesitant with GoFundMe's. I just kind of feel like anybody could start a GoFundMe, right? So what resources would you suggest someone can uh, narrow in what their form of protest may look like? If your protest isn't being out on the street and your protest is uh, shopping black, if your protest is, you know, really regulating where you spend your dollars or the right. different uh, mediums of information that you consume, or, you know, the information that you share with other people. Because we all share information at this point. Social media, it just is, my grandma's on Facebook. You know what I mean? So we're all sharing information. The same right. way everyone has that uh, responsibility on themselves to fact check their own information that they ingest. How or what resources do you feel uh, safe standing by and saying, this is some place where you can get information. This is some place where you can direct and uh, zone your attention to. It's interesting, even in a context of like the conversation around travel, one of the things folks always, folks say in the movement is like, think globally and act locally, right? We always talk about it, think globally, act locally. And so for me, I feel like, and it goes back to the education awareness piece is like, follow a national organization. Because a national organization gives you a broad landscape of what's taking place and how national trends are even, or national kind of flashpoints are impacting the movement. And you know, what's trending and what's moving and what people are paying most attention to which is important to know, because it also oftentimes is connected to what's happening globally. So follow a national organization. I mean, I would love for folks to follow the organization that I'm a part of <laughs> until freedom. Certainly, you know, we're a national organization. Um, we're doing a lot of work around Breonna Taylor's case, which hasn't got as much attention as George Floyd's. We were on the ground in Minneapolis and we actually went on the ground in Minneapolis because we happened to be in Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky, and then went to Indianapolis after kind of being with uh, Breonna Taylor's family to meet another family in Indianapolis who lost um, a child as a result of police violence. So I would say follow an organization like Until Freedom. Uh, we'd love, I'd love for you to follow us and support us. If that's not what you wanna do, find another national organization that you like that is keeping the temperature of what's happening, particularly around black people and police violence. 
I would, I think there's a lot of organizations. I've also worked in the non, the nonprofit industrial complex for a long time. And what I've learned is that a lot of, most organizations are not really responsive. And many organizations are beholden to a lot of folks and they can't be as radical and as truthful as they want to be because where they get their money. Um, and that's one of the things because we are new and who we are that makes make us a little bit we're not beholden to folks in that way we're just not which is why we're able to just go someplace that we thought like it was wise to go um so i i would say that support a national organization so that you can understand the national landscape and what's moving and then also find a local organization that you can support and helps you understand exactly what's happening where you live and it can enhance your awareness um so if you're in louisville find a local louisville organization identify a few and stay connected to them until you identify which one that that really resonates with you most or maybe you go, you follow too and i think people should do that in every locality like become very familiar with the organizing and political landscape of your local community and be plugged into it um and you know donate to people like the, the the work is real like a lot of people are calling me and hitting me up like oh what's going on and boom how do i wish i do this and even people like so do you know any organizers in atlanta i get that a lot because i know a lot of people in atlanta i used to live there and I, i'm i've said to people i'm gonna connect you with some people but what i want you to be mindful of is like organizers generally have a lot on their plate right. i said in this moment i mean they got too much on their plate so be mindful of that as you engage them. So I say all that to say that people who are doing the work and do the work on the ground have a lot on their plate. And are managing their own grief. They are. And so, you know, even more reason to support, right? And we, we start to say now, like, freedom ain't free. You know what I'm saying? But also the other thing we're saying is like, what kind of investment would you like to make in your freedom? And your liberation, like, is it is it as important as the coffee you buy at Starbucks or whatever thing you like to buy? Like, how on on a scale of one to ten, how important is it? How much do you prioritize it? Um, and I think we're in a moment where a lot of that is shifting, and people are beginning to say, okay, maybe I need to pay more attention to this than I have before. Um, I think it's a great thing. I think. Uh as a final thought, one thing that people can look into it as, as not just um, a one-off kind of thing, right? I feel like that makes it a little bit easier to decide who and what you want to support, right? Um, if you take the time to actively look into different organizations that may be local or national, I feel like it can get, for example, when somebody says, well, how can I help? Where can I donate? <laughs> that type of energy is great. However, it could be better served by, okay, so if I'm not going to get a coffee every day because I'm working from home, right. $4 or $5 that I would allot to breakfast, snacks during the day or whatever, I can spend with, you know, this organization this week. So that's $20 this week. Or next week, I can donate here. Or because when you do that, okay, so, you know, what's a link? Okay, so how many times are you going to visit this link? So are you going to visit the link one time? Are you going to just, like, 
make a difference today and then that's it? Or are you going to continuously make this a part of your um, your lifestyle? Right, lifestyle changes. So I would offer uh, that find ways that you can continue to support. If you feel uncomfortable making like a $100 donation to one organization because you're not exactly sure who supports it, you're not exactly sure where the funds is going, cool. Your coins is important to you. You worked for them, you did whatever you did for them. You, you got them, right? They're yours to spend how you so choose. Consider donating $25 at a time. Right they're donating five dollars at a time a couple dollars here a couple dollars there i'm not sure it looks good well two dollars here's for today all right well tomorrow here's another link so i will absolutely have links to yeah. your organization um organizations that i have you know supported myself and information from other people i trust that have you know compiled lists of resources of ways for people to help and different levels of protest for people to get engaged in. So Angela, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate your time. Anytime. Where can the people find you? Um, you can find me online, Instagram, Angelo underscore Pinto underscore. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Angelo Pinto 720. And you can find me on Facebook, Angelo Pinto. That's going to be a lot harder to do. But And also, you know, follow Until Freedom. We're on Instagram, Facebook, um, and Twitter as well. And that's Until, like U-N-T-I-L? Yep, U-N-T-I-L, Freedom, F-R-E-E-D-O-M. All right, so there, two resources. Thank you again. I appreciate you. I appreciate what you're doing. Um, I appreciate your time. And stay safe. And be well. Stay lifted positive energy. I ain't going to ask how you doing. I'm going to just keep sending you positive energy and shit because it's not easy. That's why it's very much so worthwhile. So again, thank you. Anytime. I appreciate it. <laughs> thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right.